So today's Bible reading is from the book of Jude, and we will be starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the, the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all their ungodly acts they have committed in the ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them, him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks Emily for reading. Can everyone hear me today? I've got the iPad for the sound in my hand as well. So um, I asked that once as an engineer and someone at the back said, uh, yes I can but I'm happy to talk with someone who can't. So uh, anyone, uh, you can all hear? Great. Excellent. Well, welcome to Trinity Church Unley. It's great to be with you at the start of 2022 as we uh, think about what it means to be Christians in our world today. My name's Carl. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's lovely to be with you this morning. I wonder what it is that you're grasping onto at the moment. What are the things that you're clinging to in life? I've been thinking about that a little bit this week. It's that kind of a time in our lives at the moment where we're thinking about what do we need to hold on to tightly, isn't it, with all that's raging on around us. And I was thinking about this idea of clinging tightly to things, and I got this image in my mind of a man, Alex Honnold. Some of you may know him. He's a a rock climber, a famous rock climber. Uh, He's famous not because he can climb the most difficult pathways or the most difficult uh, rock faces, He hasn't won an Olympic gold medal or anything like that for rock climbing. Alex Honnold is famous for rock climbing because he climbs what they call free solo. That is, he does it without a rope and without harnesses. He's most famous because he's climbed El Capitan in Yosemite. I've got a photo of this on the screen behind me just in case you don't know what we're talking about when I say El Capitan. It's 884 metres tall, vertically. And it took Alex, when he climbed this without a rope, three hours and 56 minutes to get from the bottom to the top. And it was described as one of the greatest athletic feats of any time ever, going from top to bottom without a rope. Now, I've got a photo of Alex, another photo of him. You'll see him here climbing without a rope. How do you think that feels? You need to cling pretty tightly, don't you? I get giddy standing on the top of a two-metre high ladder and I want to cling on to everything I can when I'm up there. Can you imagine what it takes to climb 884 metres up a rock wall? One little distraction and that's it, isn't it? Tumble down to your death. And it's not like this never happens. If you Google free soloing and you look it up in Wikipedia, it's got a list of all the people who have died doing this sport in the last few years. It's a difficult thing to do. And I'm telling you this really because I want you to think this morning about what are you clinging on to? What are you holding on to? You know, for Alex Honnold, he had to cling tightly to this rock wall in order to get from the top to the bottom. What are you clinging on to? This morning, I think many of us will be kind of thinking through that. We're at the start of the year, and as I said before, we're in these uncertain times at the moment. What are you clinging on to? Maybe you work in healthcare and you're clinging on to this hope that the the tidal wave isn't going to knock you off your feet. Maybe you're running a small business and you're clinging to this hope that you'll be able to ride this season out. Maybe you're hoping to travel, clinging on to the hope of a, a new destination that you're going to and just hoping that it'll be worth it. Or maybe you're a parent and you're clinging on to the 31st of January as the day the kids go back to school hoping it's going to happen. You know, we're clinging to these things at the moment, aren't we? And so we know what it feels like to cling on to things. This morning I want to suggest that this idea of clinging on to stuff, it's a, it's a good metaphor for the Christian life. We need to cling on to things. We need to cling to God the Father, who Jude tells us is able to keep us from stumbling. 
We need to cling to his words. We need to be soaked in them, holding on to the promises that he's given to us. If you were here with us last week, you might remember how this letter, this, this, this book of Jude starts with a reminder that those who love Jesus, with a reminder of three things, that we are called, loved and kept. And I wonder this morning, are you clinging to that truth? Called, loved and kept. Because this letter, I think, is designed to help us do that, to, to cling to God, to cling to the word of the Bible so that we won't slip. Literally, Jude says, so that we won't stumble. Now, if this letter started by telling us that we are, are called and loved and kept, why is one of the big themes in it then this idea of clinging to God? If we're already called, loved and kept, why the need to cling? Well, it's, a, it's a good question. And I think the answer to why we need to do that is that Jude shows us that there are people around us, he calls them ungodly people, we might call them false teachers, we might call them hazards, or Jude, Jude also uses this language, he calls them clouds without rain, who will shipwreck us if we don't cling to God tightly. And that's what makes this letter important. It's important, but it's also a bit strange, isn't it? Did you notice that when Emily read it to us before? There's some weird things in this letter, aren't there? I mean, what's the story? What's the deal with the archangel Michael disputing with the devil about the body of Moses? Where does Jude get that from? Well, today we're going to spend some time looking at these verses. So we're going to dig into what Jude has to say about these ungodly people, as he calls them. And we're going to see what their destiny is. And I think the, the thrust of the letter is clear, even though there's some... Um, strange bits in this passage. I think the thrust of the letter is this, that the false teachers, those ungodly individuals that Jude speaks about, they're destined for condemnation. That's what this is saying to us. Just like others in the past who led God's people astray, they will be judged and so to these ungodly people. And so, Jude says, don't follow after them. Not only do you not want to go where they're going, because they're hazardous and destructive and unfruitful. But we know what their destiny is. They'll be judged. So instead, I think Jesus is saying, cling to Jesus, cling to his words, cling to him. Now, I want to remind, remind you again that all of this is written to those who are called, loved and kept to encourage us to contend for the faith, to hold on tight, knowing those things about ourselves. Now, I love the illustrations that Jude uses. In, in verse 12, he, he calls uh, the, the false teachers clouds without rain and autumn trees without fruit. He's got some beautiful language, I think, in this letter. But also there's some tricky bits in this letter, aren't there? Most of the illustrations that Jude uses come from the Old Testament. For example, he speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah and Cain. But sometimes he takes illustrations from other books like One Enoch or perhaps the Testament of Moses. And as Reformed Protestants, this kind, of, this kind of gets our alarm bells ringing a bit, doesn't it? I mean, how can you use these books? They don't have scriptural authority. And we've been conditioned, I think, to kind of turn away from these books that aren't in the Bible. So what's Jude doing? Why is he using these sources, these extra-biblical sources? Well, I think at one level... I want you to keep holding on to the fact that these 66 books in the Bible are the ones that are authoritative. Don't, Jude's not trying to argue against that. But what he is doing is retelling stories that were re, well known in his day. 
And he's using those stories to illustrate his points. I think he's doing a similar thing to what Paul does in Acts when he quotes those Athenian poets. He's using well-known stories of the day to help him make a point. I don't think he's trying to tell us that these other books should also be in the Bible. Now, those illustrations are well-known in Jews' day, but today we don't know them so well, and that makes this passage a little bit more tricky to understand. So what, do we want to see? what I want you to see from this passage today is really two things. I want you firstly to see that false teachers, these ungodly people that Jude talks about, that they are destined for condemnation. And I want us to also see that these false teachers are treacherous. Their future is harmful for others. Now Jude's not pulling punches in this passage at all. He's certain that the false teachers are destined for condemnation and he wants us as readers to see that. And in verses 5 to 7, he uses three examples, all from the Old Testament, to show us that this is the destiny of those who are ungodly. So I want to read to you from verse 5 now. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you can follow along. Uh, Hopefully um, you've got that on your phone or in a a text version. Let me read to you from verse 5 of Jude. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord... At one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Now, there are three examples from the Old Testament listed in these verses. Um, I think most of us are probably familiar with the exodus from Egypt that's described there in verse 5. The Israelites experienced God's deliverance from being held captive in Egypt and they walked through the sea as if on dry land because God provided for them. And yet, even having done that, they later rebelled from God and so that generation was condemned. That generation died in the wilderness. Many of you will have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment faced by those cities for their sexual perversion. We might be a bit less familiar with verse 6 though. I think what's happening in verse 6, just to explain it, is that this seems to be a reference to Genesis 6 where the sons of God and their marriage to human women. Essentially what Jude is here talking about is angels marrying human women. That's the trickiest of the verses to get our head around, the trickiest of the examples to get our head around. But yet I think the thrust of what Jude is saying is pretty clear, right? Here's what I think he's saying. God is a God who judges. God will have the last word. Israel, despite seeing God work the miracles of deliverance, when they rebelled in the desert, they still face judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah face judgment. And even the angels are not spared. And so I think what Jude's doing with these three examples is reminding us that judgment awaits. And that's supposed to be sobering. And yet I think it's also supposed to be viewed as an encouragement for those who are reading Jude. Maybe not for the false teachers, it's bad news for them, granted, but for the church clinging on to the truth, here's the reality. Here's the reminder that false teachers will get what's coming their way. And... Yeah, that's important, I think, isn't it? It doesn't always seem to work that way in our world. 
Often it seems in our world that those who cheat on their taxes, well, they get away with it and then they prosper. Or those who, who break the law, they, they don't get found out and it puts them ahead in life in some way. Well, Jude's saying here, false teachers, those ungodly people, they'll be judged. Maybe not instantaneously, maybe not in this lifetime, but they will be judged. That's an encouragement. Now in verse 8, we'll learn a little bit more about who these false teachers are. We've already seen in verse 4, if you've got your Bible there, have a look back at verse 4. We've already seen in verse 4 that these false teachers are those who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny the only sovereign and Lord. But here in verse 8, we read that it's on the strength of their dreams that they pollute their bodies and reject authority. I think what Jude is saying here is that these false teachers are claiming a sort of special revelation. That they've had visions or dreams from God that permit them then to go and pollute their bodies. To turn aside from what God has clearly said in his word. What makes a false teacher a false teacher? Well, departing from the apostolic teaching. Departing from the words of scripture. And often that's done to to please themselves or to pursue desire or pleasure. For Jude, it may have been the denying of the resurrection of Jesus. But it also seems to be about those who, who live immoral lives in some way and they're doing so on the basis of special revelation. God told me. I had a dream about it. Does this sound familiar to you? Have you met anyone who sort of claims a, a sort of special revelation from God in this particular way? Maybe they've had a vision or, or a dream that enables them to depart from what God has written in his word and to, to live in a different way. But could God choose to speak like that today? I think he could. God's a powerful God. He could choose to do that. But does he speak that way? Well, um, I've got Hebrews chapter 1 on the screen behind you. I just wanted to point out what Hebrews 1 says to us about how God speaks to us today. This is what it says. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Could God speak to us in other ways today? He could, sure. Does he? Maybe sometimes. But here's a test for us. Would God ever contradict himself? I think it's impossible for God to contradict himself. So if you're hearing a vision or hearing a vision, seeing a vision or hearing a word from God that doesn't come from the Bible, it's from a dream or something like that, and it's in contradiction to what the Bible says, you can be pretty sure that those dreams are not from God. Those visions are not from God. Now verse 9 is a tricky verse. We don't know what the origin of this story about Michael the Archangel and Satan is, but um, it's likely that Jude's readers did. Uh, possibly the source, of a, the source of the story is a text we no longer have, uh, maybe something like um, uh, the Testament of Moses or something along those lines. I wonder what you think this verse means. Let me try and summarise what I think this verse is saying. I think it's saying that... The, that um, that it, uh, false teachers are willing to do what even Michael the archangel wasn't willing to do, that is to rebuke 
Satan without the authority of Jesus. So while we don't know exactly what the origin of the story is, uh, it's Jews' intention, it seems, to be adding one more accusation to the list of the false teachers. That is that they will uh, slander the devil without the authority of Jesus. What does it all mean? Well, false teachers will be judged. Just as judgment came upon the desert generation and the angels who sinned and Sodom and Gomorrah, so too judgment is the destiny of the false teachers. Now Jude moves on in verses 11 to 13 to tell us how destructive these false teachers are. And while these verses have some great poetry, um, they speak of a great threat. Let me read them to you. What Jesus says, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 11 we see Jude using his kind of favourite triplicate method. He's done that a few times, listing again three Old Testament examples. And the common thing I think to all three is that they are said to lead people into destruction. To lead people into destruction. And then in verse 12 we see how terrible this destruction is is. Douglas Moo, who wrote a commentary on on this book, says um, that uh, perhaps a better way to translate the word that we have here as blemish is to translate it as hidden reef, you know, like a hidden reef under the the waves. He prefers this translation because it communicates this, the idea that the false teachers are hazards, like a hidden reef is, a hazard at your feast, a hazard at your meals. And what are these wonderfully poetic illustrations mean clouds without rain waves foaming up without shame trees without fruit shepherds who feed only themselves they all point to the danger of the false teachers don't they they're here for themselves they make false promises that they can't keep they might look impressive but they never bear good fruit and like rough surf on a beach in a storm They'll also drown you quickly. And really this is the crux of the matter for Jude, isn't it? These people, Jude says, they might look impressive. It might look like their ideas are fresh and new and life-giving. But if they're clouds that never bring rain, then their teachings never deliver. And instead they lead to destruction. I wonder what you think we should make of this then in our world today. See, Jews seems to be spilling a lot of ink about these false teachers, about these ungodly people who lead others astray. What does it mean for us today? Are there false teachers like this in our church today? Well, in the last few years, there have been a number of people uh, within churches who have been labelled by others as false teachers. You may be able to think of some big names that fall into that category. And we do need to be wary of such people, those who depart from the word of God, 
where they see their authority as coming from somewhere else other than just the words in the Bible, maybe to suit their own desires or maybe as a result of their own dreams or visions. We need to be wary of people who turn away from the words of God. But I wonder if a more relevant problem for us today is kind of a slow drift away from what the Bible says to what our culture says. Perhaps an example of this might be the way in which our leaders or elected officials are seen by people within the church. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear about how we're to view these people, to see them as people of authority, to respect them, knowing that God has placed them there. But sometimes I think there's an underlying tension to, in our culture to not do that, to not give our leaders the authority they deserve. Don't listen to them. Of course, in the last decade, one of the other things that we've seen in our culture and in our world around us is the rapidly changing way in which marriage is viewed and considered. And across the world, churches have had to grapple with this, and it's been hard work. Now, we don't have time today to go into every aspect of what the Bible has to say about marriage. Suffice to say, I think, that God has said, you may marry someone of the other sex who's not already married. What Jude says to us today, though, is that there are those who lead others astray for their own desires. They reject the authority of the Bible or of the apostolic word. And they pollute their bodies, often on the strength of their own dreams. In other words, they depart from God's good teaching and God's good instruction for the benefit of themselves. Now, I hope that we as a church will be genuinely loving and genuinely caring and welcoming from people of all backgrounds when they come and enjoy join us here at church. But it's also my strong desire that we would cling to the Word of God, that we would hold on to the truths of the Bible, that we would not be led astray by other people's desires. Sometimes that seems like those people are being more generous, more loving. But if it contradicts God's good plan and order, if it contradicts God's good word, then that's just clouds that seem like they're giving rain, but the rain never comes. Standing firm in the face of our culture is not going to be easy, is it? There'll be many, even those within the wider church, who will stand in opposition to this. And those people will divide the church. This has happened in multiple places around the world. It'll be traumatic. And it's almost like Jude knew that when he was writing all those years ago. Have a look what Jude says in verses 17 and 19 of this passage. He says this, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have this spirit. Here's the encouragement from Jude in the face of that. False teachers will get judgment. And it might seem to us today that sticking to what the Bible has to say is a hard road for us to walk. It might feel at times that everybody is opposed to what this Bible says. But if we're working hard to see what God's word says to us, If we're not just paying lip service to what we think it says, but genuinely working hard to understand what God's Bible says to us and then living by it, 
We need to remember that we are called, loved and kept. And the false teachers, the ungodly around us, they'll get what's coming, just like those who before them rebelled and were judged. It's not an easy thing to read, is it? Or an easy thing to think through. Not a nice thing to think through. But I think this is the gist of what Jude is saying. Now, having said all that, I don't want to move on before just mentioning that our God is also a God of great forgiveness. He loves it when we recognize our shortcomings and come to him contrite and willing with soft hearts, asking for forgiveness. And perhaps Jude drives you in that direction. In a few moments, we'll have a time of of quietness and a time where we together will confess before our God. I'd encourage you this morning to remember that God's judgment is certain, but also to remember that God's forgiveness is real for those who come to him, that he loves us. To remember that he calls us, loves us, and keeps us. This morning, as you begin to think through what lies ahead for this year, for 2022, I don't want you to forget Alex Honnold, this man who can cling to the face of rocks for nearly four hours as he climbs to the top without ropes. Let me encourage you to think about clinging to God's word in the same way that Alex clings to those rocks, holding on to them for dear life, trusting in his protection that he knows what's best for us, that his word is good for us. Holding on to him so that we won't stumble. I'm going to pray that we do that as a church. Father God, we thank you for your good words to us. We thank you that you have promised to keep us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you know what is best for us as our creator and as our keeper. Father, we pray that you would help us to hold on to those things, to not get distracted by those who have other desires or for their own benefit try to lead others astray. Help us as a church to be wise as we perceive what your word really says to us. Help us to trust in it. Father God, we ask for forgiveness where we need it. But we also ask that you would help us to cling to you. Amen.